This is episode number 27 with country artist and former Tennessee Titans cheerleader, Ryan and Heather Kinder. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today I'm bringing you another power couple episode. I've talked a lot about how much I've enjoyed interviewing couples, and this one was no different. Ryan Kinder is a country artist here in Nashville that has been climbing the ranks in the country music world. My personal favorite song of his is Close. So after you're done listening to the interview, go take a listen to it. Heather was a former Tennessee Titans cheerleader for five years and was even named captain in her final season. During this episode, you're going to hear about two defining moments. You're going to hear about moments that all of us wish we had that pushed us towards our dreams and our passion. Ryan and Heather are great examples of a couple that looks at the positive side of things and doesn't dwell over negative experiences. While you're listening to this, share this episode with a friend. Share it with a family member. Share it with someone else you know who is trying to figure out what their dream or passion is. Do you have a friend who are in a job that they like, but they say that they don't see themselves being there in the next three to five years? Send this to them. If this is your first time here, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. The only way we can spread these positive messages, these tools, tips, and inspiration is by help from you getting the message out there. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with this lovely power couple, Ryan and Heather Kinder. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm fired up today uh, to have this beautiful couple with me today, Ryan and Heather Kinder. I'm really excited to have you guys in here. We've been trying to get it scheduled for a while, so I'm glad we finally got all y'all's busy schedule nailed down and, and we got made it happen. Absolutely. So um, basically to introduce you real quick, uh, Ryan is a, a country artist here in Nashville and obviously tours around to other cities across the country. And Heather, she, you are, uh, what's what's the exact job title at your place? Uh, senior executive assistant. Senior executive assistant. Awesome. Um, but she also was a Tennessee Titans cheerleader. We'll talk, we'll be talking that. Uh, about that a little bit today and also an upcoming competition that she has going with Miss Tennessee, uh, Mrs. Tennessee America. Don't want to get that wrong, um, <laughs> especially with the husband right here. Um, but basically when I've, I've interviewed a few couples in the past now and the way I always like to start is asking how you guys met, but in doing a little bit of research, I found out that you guys met as lifeguards yes. back uh, after high school and then you started dating a junior year of college yeah. at Alabama. Wow. So I am interested <laughs> as in what brought you guys back together. Well, we were friends the whole time. Okay. We were really close and I was just biding my time until <laughs> I could ask her out and it took that long. Yeah. So we stayed friends like from the minute we met. We had the same friend group and hung out all the time and it just took like you said, two years to actually start dating. Yeah. Well, so whose initial push was it to get, was get closer yours. to dating? Always mine. <laughs> Always yours? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably fair. So what held, what held you back from making the making the push to go after? Other relationships. Okay. Yeah. Somebody both, was in. Yeah, we both dated other people <laughs> in the two years, so. Okay. It just took a while to realize that we were wasting our time. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you guys started dating, um, how long did it take until you actually got married? So we were pretty young when we yeah. started dating. And so we dated, um, we, well, we've been together for 10 years total and we've been married for five years. Okay. So, so about five years yeah. in between. Okay. So two year junior and senior year and then about a few years afterwards. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Very good. So I want to kind of get into your career a little bit, Ryan. Yeah. So what I also learned was that you kind of spent some time back and forth between Tuscaloosa and Nashville a lot. You would t- uh, go to class at the beginning of the week, and then you drive to Nashville Thursday, Friday, Sunday, play gigs, and then go back to Tuscaloosa for about a year and a half, two years, right? Exactly. So I kind of want you to tell me a little bit about that grind and what and what was the push to actually finally move here? 
Well, I started doing it once I met a guy up here named Keith Stegall, and he kind of taught me how to write a song and the ins and outs of the music business from the beginning. And I knew this is where I wanted to be. So I made my college schedule fit around being able to come up here every Sunday so I could write on Monday, maybe Tuesday morning, and go back to class, like you said, and play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and keep doing that. And that was probably two years. And once I got in the swing of it, it was just regular. Okay. It was just normal. At the start, it was pretty rough because it's four and a half hours sometimes. Right. Get caught in traffic. It's a lot longer. And I was spending a lot of money on gas. And thankfully, my godparents live here, so I got to stay with them instead of paying for a hotel every time. That would have broke the bank. Right. And then the tornado in 2011 hit in Tuscaloosa and almost killed all of our friends and us. And that was kind of the come to Jesus realization moment of, I know what I should be doing and I'm wasting time here. So after that, once we could get out of Tuscaloosa, I moved up here and she came pretty soon after. Okay. So when that, you said that come to Jesus moment after the tornado, was it like immediately right afterwards that it was like, oh, I need to move to Nashville or did it take a little bit of time? Like what was that actual push like when you finally made the commitment to move here? Probably once I realized that I was alive, everything was okay. And once we got out of Tuscaloosa, I started thinking about the rest of my life instead of I need to go help our neighbors. I need to go do this. I need to find Heather because I couldn't find her for a day. Oh, Uh, just a few hours. Me and my friend, we walked and just went to where I thought she was. And finally, I could text her and told her to stay where she was. And I found her. And once all that was done, and it was the next weekend where I was normally going to be driving to Nashville anyway, I kind of just said, it's time. Yeah. So I'm interested. That, that was the time where you decided to move. But... I feel like a lot of times when people kind of start, like after that, you can maybe like, I don't know if this is the right thing. Like, was that the time where you actually fully committed? It was like, I'm not turning back no matter what. Or was there still kind of like maybe another hurdle that you had to get past to be like, this is what I'm doing, like bar none. There's always a hurdle. I mean, there's a hurdle every day, every week, every month. There's always something you got to overcome. But that was the moment that I knew that I was moving here for good. I knew I was going to do that at some point. I just didn't know it was going to be that soon. I thought I was going to finish college, and I didn't finish college. I still had one more year, and just that tragedy kind of made me rethink my life and say it was it's time to go now. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to waste any more time. Okay. Gotcha. That's cool. So throughout this time, when he moved, you're still, at, you're still in Tuscaloosa. Um, no. So I, around that time, it was the end of the school year and I, um, was finishing and graduating. Um, and so I moved back to Birmingham where my parents were and where I grew up. And so for that next year, while he had kind of made the commitment to be in Nashville, it was, I define it as probably the worst year of my life. Like it was like college, like ended abruptly. Um, and I know this sounds silly, but like all of the year end, like parties and celebrations and graduation, like everything was canceled. They're like, accept your grades. If you're fine with them, you're, you can be done and you're done with college. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm done with college. This is how it ends. Mm-hmm. And there just, wasn't any closure. No, there wasn't any closure. It's not how I expected it to end. It was one of those things. So I was like, oh, I thought, I don't know what four extra weeks would have made. But I was like, oh, I thought I had four more weeks to figure out what I wanted to do with life. And, um, 
so that year it was hard because it was like college was over. He was here and he had figured out like he was ready to do this thing. And I just felt lost. Like, what the heck am I going to do? Like, I had this great major and I did not want a job in what I had majored. I majored in public relations and that was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, so that was a tough year for me to like find myself. Um, so I spent that year, I did get a job in Birmingham and it was the perfect job for right out of college. Um, and I kept wanting to make the commitment to come to Nashville, but I just wasn't finding a job and I was scared to come without a job and to make that commitment. Um, so then that next May, so almost a year later is when I made the Tennessee Titans team for the Mm -hmm. first time. And so I had to move. Yeah. I had no choice. Um, so I moved in that May of 2012 and luckily my aunt and uncle live here also in Franklin. And so I, they took me in while I had some time to like get my feet under me and find a place to live and all of that. So it did take me a year longer than him to make the commitment. And it's not that I didn't want to be here. It's that like, I didn't have a job. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Like I had this wonderful major that all of a sudden right. I wanted nothing to do with. But, but I think that's a common, I think that's a common thing. I think a lot of people graduate, not have the end, same end of college as you guys did. Cause that's tough. And like, you're just thrown into being out of college life abruptly. But I think a lot of people have that like, Oh, I just finished college and maybe I don't have a job or I'm in a job that I don't really like. It's because I didn't really maybe do the major that I exactly wanted to do. So tell me, talk a little bit more about that time. You know, you're in this, you're in the one job that you say is a perfect job out of college, but how do you decide that like, I don't want to do this and that there's something else out there better for me that I want to go do. So now don't get me wrong. My major taught me a lot and I definitely, Mm -hmm. the job I have now, I, wouldn't be as good as I am at it if I didn't have that degree in public relations. Um, it was just so broad stroke. Um, but I just didn't want to go work for a PR firm or be a, you know, in that role for a company or anything like that. Um, so when I was my first job, I worked at Zoe's actually, just, um, at the time it was headquartered in Birmingham. They've since moved to Texas and I was a catering manager and marketing assistant for the corporate office. And it was, it was fun. It was good hours. It was flexible. It was a good transition from college, um, into the real world, like not a, you know, huge 50 hour a week type commitment. Um, and, and I think I was good at it. I liked the people. I liked my coworkers, but I was like, I could be. I could be doing more. And my like end all goal had always been to be an NFL cheerleader. Um, I had set that goal probably when I was a freshman in college because I had always danced. Um, and I knew I wanted to continue dancing into somewhat of my adult life, but I didn't want to go down the path of being like a professional dancer, like that you see like backup dancers and living in New York and all of that. Um, because at some point in time you age out of that and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're 30 years old and there's a whole batch of 23 year olds that are better than you and younger than you and can do more than you. So I knew then that like, Maybe I could have done that and maybe I would have succeeded in that. But what would I be doing now at the, mm-hmm. you know, at the age of 30? You knew that you wanted to do it in some way, but maybe not like the full-time career yes. because you knew there was going to be an ending point. And then yes. what do you do after that? So that's why um, I like set my goal on NFL because I knew then that it's not, although it should be, it's not full-time. Um, so I knew that I could do the NFL thing and still have a full-time job and still be making a career for myself. Um, and so I set my goals first on Dallas. Um, and I, I did That's it. That's probably everybody else. It is everybody. <laughs> I did it. I went one year. My parents or my mom, my sister and Ryan drove out there with me. We drove 10 hours and tried out and I made it decently, like pretty far in mm-hmm. the process. But I was 
young and a baby and didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, so that was my junior year of college. I finally did it. And, and then my at the end of my senior year of college, right after the tornado thing, um, I tried out for Titans. Um, and that was 2011 and didn't make the team. Made it all the way to the very end and got cut. And that was another reason why that year was such a, like... Mm awful years like college ended abruptly what am I doing with my life I just got cut from the thing that I thought I was gonna do and like who am I like I just I used to say that I felt like I was like the always the bridesmaid but never the bride <laughs> I felt like everything I had done in the past like four years like I'd almost made it right. like, almost won and then Hatton um and so that year 2011 into 2012 I was working at Zoe's in Birmingham like I said great job good Good job out of college. Um, And my dad is actually the one that was like, are you going to try out again this year? And I was like, dad, I don't think so. Like, I just, you know, I can't take the disappointment again, like financially. Like, I just don't, you know, want to spend the money on it. And my, they had a VIP workshop and it was in February. And my dad was like, what's the fee for the VIP workshop? I was like, that's $90. And like 10 minutes later, my dad walked out with a check for $90. <laughs> and he's like, you're doing it. That's awesome. Um, and so it's so funny. Like I credit like my career growing up of dancing to my mom um, because she was always working two jobs to pay for everything. She was at every um, competition, every audition and all of that. But then it was my dad of all people that was like, you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I credit my dad for pushing me. Yeah. And that's the year I made the team. Okay. So I moved here. This is a very long answer. No, no, you're good. <laughs> I moved to Nashville when I make the team. Um, I get a full-time job because I have to. And it was even worse. Like, awful. Had a headset on and Ugh. called 100 people a day. And what I was doing is um, it was postage machines, and I was trying to renew their lease. And people were like, oh, we don't really mail anything. We don't want this. I'm like, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a saleswoman. Yeah. <laughs> send it back. Okay, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you a postage, uh, a shipping label. Send it back yeah, to I don't really like them anyway. Yeah, right. Um, and so it was then. I was at a friend's house, and I was like, you know, call me crazy. And I've never been an assistant before, but something in me tells me, like, I think I'd be a really good assistant. Like, I think I have the skill set for it. I think I want to be someone's number two. Like, I want to be with someone that's powerful and, like, looking to make differences. But, like, I don't want to be that person. Like, I want to be the person behind them. Why do you think that you – why did that position call you? Or, like, what about you felt like that – or did you feel like you could be really good at that role? You know – Honestly, like, I think it was a God thing because I really don't know why I thought all of a sudden one day, like, I think I'd be a good assistant. Hmm. Like, I knew I was organized. I knew I was, like, very, like, aggressive and that, like, I'm going to get things done type thing. Um, But just something in me was like, I think I'd be good at this. And a friend of a friend was there. And she was a recruiter, and she overheard the conversation. And three months later, she called me and was like, "Um, so I know you didn't apply with my firm to be placed somewhere, but I had this job come up and I think you'd be really good at it. And wow, that's I went awesome. and interviewed and here we are. Well, I think there's something to be said for like actually saying, like speaking something out into the earth that you know you want to go do. Like you said, you told your friend that you wanted to be an assistant, that sort of thing. And because it was kind of out there and luckily she heard it, yeah. it like comes back full circle. She 
remembered it and could help you out in that way. Because I think a lot of people like might have ideas like that or goals like that. And because just by simply not saying it, either they don't believe it themselves or somebody else doesn't hear it. And there's no other way for the universe or a friend to actually help them out yeah. in that particular way. So I think that's sure. really big. So I want to go back to your parents real quick. So it obviously seems like your dad and your mom was probably both a big influence um, and role, role models kind of for you. But I also read that your dad converted a a uh, room to a dance floor yes. in your house. So give me the, obviously it was a big push in actually trying out again, but what was the, what's the biggest lesson that he has taught you? The biggest lesson my dad has taught me. Yeah. Um, I would say that he has taught me to stay like, like to never get lazy. Um, I have never seen my dad like quit on a job, like even like the smallest project of like painting a door, like he'll paint that door until it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And it might drive me crazy. He's like, dad, the door's fine. Um, he's not a complacent man. He's not right. complacent. And so I think that's the biggest thing is that he's taught me not to be complacent mm-hmm. and not to give up until everything's exactly right. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, you were fortunate to have him in your life because you weren't going to go back for the Tennessee Titans cheerleaders mm-hmm. thing. Because I think a lot of people might go for something one time and then fail or not make the team or lose or whatever it is and then not go back. So what do you think, what, like, what is it that he needed to reveal to you to make it worthwhile to go back and try out? I don't know if there's like a particular thing that he made you realize it was like, okay, wait, yeah, this is a good idea. I need to go back and try this and give it a second shot. I think just the fact that and it, he did do the dance floor for me in second grade, which was fantastic. <laughs> the and mirrors and the bars. And yeah, it, it was awesome. awesome. Um, but like I said, it was always my mom that was, you know, working the two jobs and taking me to everything. And my dad would come to stuff. Like, he would come to the recital, but, like, he wasn't in the grind like my mom. But I think it's the fact that, like, he noticed that, I, you know, where I was in my life and all this hard work I had done. And I was about to be like, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm done trying. And so I think the fact that my dad, like, recognized that and um, wasn't going to let me stop. Mm-hmm. I think that that just like writing the check, it was $90. Like it's not that much money, but to someone like the, at that age where right. like we were just out of college and like trying to do everything to make ends meet. And, um, so I think just that, like writing the check for $90, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like my dad hasn't given up on me. Mm-hmm. So why am I giving up on myself? Okay, cool. So you guys both have been in the public eye a number of times. I mean, as a cheerleader and obviously as a country singer. And I think that in the public eye, people get nervous. People obviously have also have like self-doubt, self-limiting beliefs. Like as a singer, like, oh, are these people are going to like this show? Are they liking what I'm singing? Are people judging me when I'm cheerleading? That sort of thing. So I want to talk, I want to start with you. How do you kind of overcome that either nerves or the self-doubt and self-limiting beliefs that we all have when we put ourselves into those kind of circumstances? Well, I think as I got, uh, as I've gotten older, I've realized that there's a divide between people. You're going to make some people really happy and some people are going to hate what you do and you can't do anything about that. You have to play to your crowd. Mm. You can't try and win the person that is never going to love what you're doing. So realizing that has helped me just do what I do and be great at that and not worry about them. Maybe they'll come over at some point and be a part of what I'm making, but you can't focus all your energy on the empty seats. Mm-hmm. I think think it's really important to realize because I think a lot of us, especially on social media, if people have like a a big following or something and there's like a thousand comments and 999 of them are good and there's one bad one, people dwell on that bad one. That's so empty seat. Yeah. So it's just really hard to channel your energy 
not and try to convince the one person why you're so great or why what yep. you do is good. Exactly. And just focus on the positive. Yeah. So just exactly cool, cool. So what about what about you? Anything in particular that allowed you to be more comfortable, Cheerly? Were you nervous when you first started? Um, nervous. I think I was more nervous for you <laughs> than you were. <laughs> nervous about like the actual like going out and remembering the routine, like when you're dancing in front okay. of seventy thousand people at a stadium. Like you don't want to be the one that messes up. Right. I'd be for sure gonna. The, I'd be in the stands going like, yeah, you can do it. But like you're the one that messes up, like you, a you're gonna get called out, and like you don't, you don't want to be that person that messes up. But that would be what I'd be nervous over. Like I stopped caring a long time ago about what people think about me. No, don't get me wrong. Like my good friends and my like family and all that. Like I never, I never want them to be mad at me, and I want to make sure like we're good and we're cool and all that. But like, trust me, I had a fair fair amount of people have strong opinions about me becoming an NFL cheerleader and for many different things and didn't think it was the right thing that I should be doing with my life. And I was like, well, I don't care. Like, I'm not here to make you happy. Like, if you don't like what I'm doing, then fine. Like, you don't, you don't like it. That's fine. I'm not here to please you. And so I stopped. It it took me a while, but, um, it was probably like my halfway through my first season. I was like, no, I'm doing it. This This makes me happy. I know why I'm doing it. And I know that the people I'm with are really good people and making a difference in the world. And I don't care what everyone else thinks. That's awesome. I think a lot of people would um, wish they had that sort of a mindset towards it. So also, I'm sure that you've probably had people in the past be like, oh, you just want to go be a country singer. Like who who doesn't like going to Nashville, that sort of thing. Did you have particular people around you that were super supportive that – allowed you the belief in yourself to actually go do it and like did you have a lot of like naysayers and people trying to recommend you not go do that thing just tell me kind of about that support versus non-support that you might have had oh there's always people trying to disparage you from chasing your dreams so there's those people everywhere but i mean heather was my biggest supporter my parents i mean my mom and dad would come and sit with me when I was 16 or 17 playing bars. I wasn't allowed to be in there, so I had to have a chaperone. So my mom would fall asleep in a booth, and my dad would stand at the door and take um, the cover so I could play. So they've been big supporters forever. My brother used to play with me, and Mm -hmm. I'll send him music all the time, and he'll send me some words of encouragement. My sister's at every show she can be at. Family. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't think a lot of people have that. So I think having that is huge. It allows you to continue forward Absolutely. despite yeah. there might be the, a lot of empty seats or whatever, depending yeah. on where you go, right? So both of you guys have had these jobs where it involves a lot of travel and a lot involves a lot of odd hours or different hours than eight to five, that sort of thing. So tell me what's been the most important thing for y'all's relationship that you do to keep y'all close and engaged with each other when he's traveling, when you're traveling, when you're doing all of these different things and have these odd hours and are gone all the time. I have a tough time calling when I'm on the road just because I'm always doing, I'm either driving myself, setting up, playing, tearing down or trying to go to sleep. So it's, I mean, texting, we always text and stay in touch. I feel like that's a big thing. And I knew what I was getting myself into with, I mean, you said it earlier, like he played the day we started dating, I mean, I would see him only two days a week because mm-hmm. he would leave town. Sometimes I would go with him, um, but he would leave and be gone Thursday through Monday. And so we'd see each other Tuesday, Wednesday. So it's it's kind of the normal. Just gotten us. really used to it? Yeah. Is there anything that you guys do, like, when you're back together that's, like, we need to, like, stay 
not as focused on our jobs and kind of like get back with each other? Like, is there a particular time of day that you all like commit to each other or anything or any, like you go have to do a vacation this many times per year or anything like that? We usually take a vacation in January and try to take one in the middle of summer. That that usually doesn't happen. We'll go eat sushi. We'll go work out together and sit and watch TV. Just yeah. Be. We try to be like when we are both home, like we try to just be home and not mm. not make plans, not try to catch up, not try to do things. And yeah. his sister always jokes and says that we're so boring. You would think that we're like living this like extraordinary <laughs> life. And it's like, but when we're home, we want to be home and we want to not be out doing things. Like we just want it to be the two of us. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say eat sushi. it sounds like a good bonding time over sushi um so you guys have been with each other for 10 years but you've been married for five years Uh, i'm gonna go back to the five-year part what has been the biggest difference in your relationship now compared to five years ago Hmm. i feel like you get to know each other better every year it's just becoming closer and communicating better Knowing each other. Mm-hmm. Is there anything and that sushi? And <laughs> sushi. Is there anything that not to get like personal, but is there anything that you learned about Heather, like over like through marriage, whether it's like a personality thing or any trait that you didn't realize when you got married? How OCD she was. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has to be perfect. Yes, and I continue to learn how messy he is. <laughs> <laughs> What a combination. It's calm in the chaos. (laughs) That's our band name. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I mean, because we've known each other for 12 years now. and We were best friends when we first started hanging out. Yeah. I think that, like, maybe we haven't learned new things about each other, but we've, like, seen. Honed in on the problems. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, like, seen more in depth. Yeah. Like, how he, like, how his personality is and. Um, you know, we both use different sides of our brains and how that works. And so I think that just over time, we've gotten more in depth on those kinds of personality right. traits of each other. Instead of horizontally, you've done vertically, right? Yes. You don't know like more and more, but you've gotten deeper. Into yes. the yeah. you do yeah. know. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So is there a piece of kind of staying on that same topic? Is there a piece of advice that you guys would give yourselves now to the newly married couple five years ago? I don't think so. Because the amount of time that we've spent together, we've learned things in the right succession, and we are who we are right now because of that time. And I think saying something to those kids might take them on a different path. Yeah. And I think that... Terrible answer. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a legitimate answer. I think, I think people, like, realizing that you go through things for a reason, I think yeah. that's basically where that's coming from. I think a lot of people, instead of... It's kind of like the opposite of victimizing yourself to a negative situation. You're saying that like the things that have gone wrong or the things that we've done wrong or said wrong to each other happen for a reason and we are who we are today because of it. Instead of being like, we want to avoid these problems, we have to go through the problems to actually grow ourselves. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. I would say, we also didn't. Synopsis. <laughs> I feel like we didn't set too many like hard expectations on ourselves, especially with his career. Um, I mean, there's no such thing as an overnight success. Um, and we knew it was going to be a long road. So we weren't like, okay, after this many years of marriage, we're going to buy a house and then we're going to have kids and mm-hmm. then we're going to do this. It's like, oh, well, like, we'll just see where this takes us and we'll see where his career takes us and we'll make decisions based off that. And so instead, someone could be like, wow, you've been married for five years and like, 
you don't have kids, you don't, you know, you haven't done this, you haven't done that. I'm like, we're just here to see like where life takes us. We'll make those decisions then. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you said that when you met Keith Stegall, is that his name? Stegall. Yeah. Stegall. Keith Stegall was a, that was kind of a big moment for you because he taught you a lot. What do you think is the biggest lesson that he has taught you going, going forward in the music industry? Well, it actually fits with the podcast name. He told me, don't be them, be you. Cause there's already mm-hmm. so many of them and there's only one you. And I've kept that with me for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you still probably have urges of like maybe trying to be more like somebody else. Or Absolutely. Yeah. You try and chase a trend or a fad just because it sounds cool musically or I mean if it's aesthetically or whatever your thing is, try and chase that. And if it's never true, then in my instance, the people at the show listening are going to know that I don't believe it. So why would they believe it? And why are they there? at all so it's being true to yourself mm. and it's really important to be i guess being yourself truly believing in what you're doing because if you don't have that feeling or energy about yourself then nobody else is going to actually feel it authentically yeah. from you as well mm-hmm. cool cool is there is there anything from like he's had this had this role model is there anything from an older cheerleader or coach that was the biggest role model for you or the biggest lesson that somebody taught you um being that person who had already been there before you Yes. Um, so there's one girl in particular that um, when I was trying out, she helped. She was retired at the time and was helping me through tryouts. Um, and then ultimately, like I credit her for the reason why I made the team. And then a couple of years later, she came back out of retirement, as they call it, and cheered. And we cheered for two years together. And my last year, we ended up being captains together. And she um, just always had so much like poise about herself and was always calm and everything. And she just taught me to, you know, stay like, stay above the drama, stay above, um, you know, the the things that might pull you down type thing and like be a leader. Um, and so that was one big thing that she taught me that I've also been able to take into like my professional career of just staying like you know, doing my job and knowing that I'm doing a good job and just being a leader to those around me and not getting caught up in the emotions of it. Hmm. So what did you say? You kind of credit her for the reason being why you made the team. What, why do you think, I mean, maybe from the things that you said, but what is the reason that you credit her with that? Um, I think that I like obviously like came to the audition with the skill sets. I had it all there, but she, um, you know, she worked on the dance with me and like helped me fix my, you know, my style and that. And she helped me through the interview process. And she just, I would say she really like polished me up for the process. And, and then positive influence overall. Yes. Yeah, she's a really positive influence. And then, um, even after I made the team, this couple of years that I was on the team that she wasn't there, like she'd be the one that I would call for advice of like, how do I handle this situation? Like, should I be upset over this? Like, do I need to get involved in this? And, you know, what do you think about this dance? Just like all the way down to like how to handle myself, like professionally on the team. And Mm -hmm. then all the way down to like the the dancing part of it. And Mm -hmm. she always just had such great advice for me. That's awesome. So I asked you guys about things that you might've learned about each other, but obviously you're different people and you compliment each other nicely with your, with your uh, OCD and the the messiness. (laughs) I'm going to start with you, Ryan. Is there a particular lesson that, she's taught you or something that maybe you've learned about yourself from her or any just particular thing that you feel like you've learned most from her since you guys have been together? Finish the job you started. There's nothing she doesn't start that she doesn't finish and do it perfectly. And sometimes I'll leave things undone. So that was 
one of the biggest things. Mm. And you're laughing at me. Because you're like, yeah, <laughs> you have finished this this morning. She's like, <laughs> she's like, yeah, I taught him that. <laughs> How about vice versa? I'll, I'll let her give it back to you. Um, I think that like he's taught me to not be so hard on myself um, because I can be very hard on myself. Um, and so I think that he's been like, you know, the like Heather, like let it go. Like, it's fine. Like stop obsessing over that. Like just because I will, I'll, I'll do something. I'll say something and then I'll get like so worked up over like, Oh, I should have done this or, Oh, I should have done that. And he'll be one, the one to like calm me down and be like, it's fine, Heather. Like you did a good job. Like let it go. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, or how do you not obsess it over it? Because I think, I think a lot of people have that kind of thing. Like when they're done, they just can't stop thinking about it. Oh, I didn't do it right. I didn't do it perfect enough. Like how do you, what's like the mental process like to talk to yourself out of obsessing over whatever it is that you think you did wrong? Um, well, I'm not perfect at it, right? but a lot of times it will be like having to talk it through with someone, whether that's Ryan or like one of my good friends that can understand the situation, like talk it through with them. And that usually makes me feel better when I talk it through with them because oftentimes they're like, talk some sense into me over it. And then the biggest thing, like, I'm just like, I have to pray. I'm like, God, like take this anxiety away from me because nothing else is going to. Mm. And that's usually how it ends. Gotcha. Has there any, have, I mean, I'm sure you've had those times where you have obsessed over a negative performance or anything like that. Like what is the process that you have to maybe go through mentally in order to get over a negative thing like that? Uh, Victor Wooten wrote a book called the music lesson and he always said, don't lose the groove to find a note and forget that note once you've played it. So it's living in the moment, play it, let it happen, and then move on. You can't obsess about mm. the last note because you're going to worry about the next one. You're going to mess that one up too. It's all about letting that moment happen and, and playing through it. Yeah, I like that. It's actually a book that I recently read, kind of almost touches on this similar thing where you got to flow with life because everything in life is constantly moving. You can't stay stuck behind. And one of the things that he talked about was like, if you're listening to a, a song, then you can't like just stick on a, even if you like, maybe it's a line that you like or a line that you hated. You can't be stuck in that part of the song because then you're going to miss everything miss the rest of it. It's like, if you like it, you can't, or if you like it, you can't just stay there and be like, Oh, that was the best song. Like keep rewinding. I just want to hear that over and over again because maybe something else is better down the road yeah. and same thing, vice versa. If it's a negative thing, you can come back to that song later. Yeah. <laughs> Stream it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, so the last couple of questions I always ask is I always throw out the age number. So how old are you guys? 30. 30, both 30. Okay, that was like simultaneous. That was cool. <laughs> so 10 years down the road, you guys are both going to be 40. Yes. Um, so what I like to ask is, what does 40-year-old, uh, asking, it, asking it separately, and you guys can respond as a couple or separately, probably separately, and maybe merge as a couple after that. But what does 40-year-old Ryan Heather Kinder look like? What are you guys doing? What have you accomplished? That sort of thing. You go first. Cool. Go. Probably a couple kids. Um, I'll be touring still. Um, a dream is to race in Kona for Ironman. And that's all I really care about. Yeah. Okay. You you still be healthy? <laughs> Me still be healthy? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good. Um, I would say 40. I would agree. Hopefully we'll have kids by then. Um, and then... Uh, I know I mentioned earlier that I'm an executive assistant and mm-hmm. I truly love being an executive assistant. I have no desire 
to step ahead and be that number one person. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, I think that my boss will keep me around. She's kept me around for six and a half years. I hope that she'll keep me around for a little bit longer, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know where that path will go, but I see myself still being in that number two position. I really like to be the person behind the curtain and driving someone. So I still see myself in a similar type role in 10 years from now and yes, having kids. And then, um, like I, I still have some physical goals. Like he wants to do race in Kona. I just want to do a full triathlon, not mm-hmm. a sprint triathlon, you know, get over that fear of swimming and be able to swim farther. And, um, so just things like that. And, um, I think that's, that's great. Yeah. Well, I, I almost forgot, but I don't want to forget the Miss Tennessee America thing. Um, so tell me about why you wanted to go into that. I'll just leave it at that. So I competed in pageants growing up and around the same time of all that drama going on of the tornadoes and all of that, I had competed um, one more time in Miss Alabama USA and I did not do well that year. And it was just like one more thing to like add to the list of like the worst year of your life, the worst year of my life. Yes. Um, and so after that, I was like, that's it. Like I am, first of all, I thought I was spread too thin. Like I was focusing on finding a good job. I was focusing on becoming an NFL cheerleader. I was focusing on this pageant. Like that's it. I'm doing too much. Like I'm only going to focus on one thing. And so that was around the time that Um, my dad wrote the check and I was like, okay, I'm focusing on becoming an NFL cheerleader. And I did that and I achieved it and I became the best person I could be in that role. And then I found an awesome job and I like really focused on, um, you know, finding a great job, a job that I love. And then I flourished in that. And I always told myself to like never overcommit. And so that's when I was like, I'm done with pageants. Like I can't keep doing everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I retired from, Titans. I had a few things still on my bucket list. Um, and that one of those things was triathlons. So I started doing those, start focusing on those. Um, I still doing them, but that was like my focus for a couple of years and then competing in a Mrs. Pageant, um, had always been kind of like lingering out there on the bucket list, but I just never was like, I'm not ready to like focus on it. I'm not ready to commit. And someone that's involved in the pageant came to me in the fall and they're like, Hey, we just took over. We think you'd be really good. And some of those things I was like, well, I mean, it's been on my bucket list mm-hmm. and not getting any younger. And I do want to do stuff like that before. I mean, you can, there's plenty of women competing to have kids and, um, but it's one of those things like I wanted to do it and be done with that thing on my bucket list before we have kids. So it's like, now's the time, mm-hmm. I guess it's the time to focus on it. Cool. Cool. Well, before I ask the last question, I want to, uh, acknowledge you guys first, because I think that both of you have had these odd lives up to this point in terms of like your careers and that sort of thing. Um, and letting the push from your dad actually go back or allowing you to go back and do that second um, audition for the Titans because I think a lot of people might even still have that push and might not t- take the leap of faith to go out there and try it again and for you to have that particular moment almost like her dad's push like the tornado for you you needed something to kind of have that realization to come to Jesus moment to make that move and you did it and I think that there's a, a lot of us out there nowadays that have those moments and still don't take hold of them and take advantage of them and actually use that to go after it is what they actually want to do. So I want to acknowledge you guys for making that leap of faith and and having the courage to do it. Um, And I want to everybody to support you guys as much as possible. So tell them kind of what you got coming up. This will probably come out in probably a little bit in April. So tell about like your tour and maybe dates around then that people could look out for if you know them or... I don't remember the 
exact dates. Dates, but uh, but you're getting ready to go on tour, right? Yeah, they'll all be on RyanKinder.com and Twitter and Instagram, all that stuff. Hopefully, the album will be pretty close to being done. Fifteen new songs, right? Fifteen. Okay. I don't know if we'll put all fifteen on there. Okay. We're gonna try. Mm -hmm. Might as well. It's a streaming world. Awesome. Awesome. To album coming out, tour coming up. And then Miss Tennessee America is going to be the end of March, right? Yes. So that might have already happened. Might so, have already happened. Um, but either way, <laughs> tell people where they can find you and, and afterwards and support you in your future endeavors because you will obviously have some. Um, yeah, pretty much Instagram for me. It's Heather F. Kinder is my Instagram handle. Okay, awesome. And that's usually where I post everything. Very good. She thinks Twitter is geriatric, but I still love Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that says something about me. Yeah, yeah I feel like a lot. Do you have a Twitter account? I don't. See? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> That's not. Let me go drink my Metamucil. Matlock's coming on, so we got to wrap this up. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So the last question I always ask everybody is related to the name of the podcast. So I think that everybody's journey through life looks a little bit differently, but I think we're all on the constant journey of looking to become the best version of ourselves. And I think it's exactly that. It's a constant journey. I don't know if we're ever at that best version of ourselves. I don't think we can ever think we are because that'll keep us complacent. And yeah. as your dad has taught us, you don't want to become, become complacent. So I want to ask for you guys both personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to become closer to the best version of yourself, what are those three things that you could do? Or three things that you could work on. I'll let whoever's ideas blossom first start. I feel like I'm on the right track right now. It was different uh, probably six months ago. I've become a lot more focused and I know exactly what I want to do. And I was joking New Year's Eve. Everybody was saying New Year, New Me. And I'd had a little bit of drink, so I said, New Year, say me, I'm on my shit. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm getting there. I'm on the way, and I feel like... Well, then what do you think you're currently doing that has you on the right path that you could continue to do? Sticking to a plan, being very focused on that plan, and not letting any outside factors hinder that plan. Uh, so three things for me. One is... Um, that I really try not to do and I need to be better about it is to be a better person or be my best self is to not overcommit. I tell people all the time, I tell his sister all the time, I'm like, stop overcommitting. And then I'm right here. Doing <laughs> yeah. Um, so really focusing on that. Um, I want to stay like more consistent, more consistent in my fitness goals. And part of that comes from overcommitting is mm. that I don't make time for myself. So not overcommitting, staying more consistent and gosh, Sorry, but you have to have a third one. <laughs> it's not just two. <laughs> third one. Do you have any ideas for me? What, should, what do I need to work well, on? Well, he got he got out a little bit uh, scotch-free with just saying that he's doing what he's currently doing and sticking to a plan. You are pretty good with your plans. You put forth a plan and yeah, finish it. it. But I need to be consistent about I feel like I've been kind of not staying on the right path recently and getting sidetracked. <laughs> Okay, this doesn't help. I still need a third thing. Be easy on yourself. Come on, yeah. that's what he's taught you. Oh, maybe that's it. Yes. Maybe that's what I need I'll to do. Be easier ahead. on myself. Mm. Mm. There we go. That was my thing. Less self-deprecating. Yes, there we go. <laughs> there you go. Well, well phrased. Well phrased. Well, that's all I got for you guys. I appreciate you coming in. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now it's time to act. Leave a like and a comment on YouTube. Subscribe to that page. If you're on iTunes, leave it a five-star review. Help the show move up the ranks so more and more people can get access to it. Feel free to take a screenshot of this episode and let me know you're listening on Instagram. 
Have you guys ever had one of those moments before? One of those turning points where you could have either made that decision to give it a second shot, to switch jobs, to move to a new city, or to get complacent, stay put, and stay comfortable? Be on the lookout for those in your lives because we all have them, but we can only see them and feel them if we're being self-aware, if we're setting intentions for ourselves about what it is we wanna do with our lives or how we wanna be serving others in our lives. Ryan and Heather both had these moments for themselves and they were able to grab hold of them and use them to their advantage. With Heather's failure and the subsequent push from her father, she made the decision to go back out for the Tennessee Titans cheerleaders. Because of the tornado in Tuscaloosa, Ryan took a deep dive into himself to realize that life is too precious to waste time not going after whatever it is that you wanna do. Thanks so much for listening. Keep taking consistent action every single day. Now it's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you.